You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. Hey, turn to, if you have a Bible, if you're not eating, turn to Joshua chapter 5. You can leave that open for another couple minutes, just so people feel like you can still come in. Joshua chapter 5. I know that the uh, program said I was going to talk about uh, diversity and did it say socioeconomic? This has nothing to do with socioeconomic. <laughs> so sorry that it said that. It's going to, I'm going to be talking about this book, Third Option. Um, I'm from New York. My name is Miles. I'm from, let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for uh, our time together and thank you for um, what you're going to do in our hearts. I pray that you would um, bless everyone's effort. It's okay, it's okay. Tell God to wait. <laughs> Where are you from? Where are you from? Me? Yeah, you. Uh, North of Seattle. North of Seattle? Where are you from, young man? You. <laughs> <laughs> San Diego. San Diego? Okay, okay. And where are you from? San Diego as well. Okay, okay. Lord, thank you for uh, everybody here. And we pray you bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, turn to Joshua chapter 5. This is the, uh, I'm Miles McPherson, I'm pastor of the Rock Church in San Diego, and this is the uh, workshop on the third option. Uh, it should be about racial diversity in your church, in your life, in your heart, actually has to start in your heart. Um, I, uh, I pastor the church is 19 years old, we have seven campuses, uh, we are diverse, bless you, and we have been like the United Nations since day one. I played for the San Diego Chargers, and right around my last year, I started a Bible study in my house. We had nine nationalities in my house, and so I became a youth pastor after that. That was diverse, so I've always had diversity, never not had diversity. Uh, I have a white grandmother, half Chinese black grandmother, two black grandfathers, all from Jamaica, West Indies, so I have a lot of, uh, uh, my family was always very diverse. I grew up in a black neighborhood, went to school in a white neighborhood um, up until eighth grade, got harassed in a white neighborhood because I wasn't white, got harassed in the black neighborhood because it wasn't black enough. And so it's always been something in my life. When I was eight, eight years old, Martin Luther King was killed. And I remember thinking, what do we do? And how, how unfair it was, but also um, thinking, what do we do? Because when I grew up, um, uh, I was born in 1960, you very rarely, TV was literally black and white. There was no color TV. You rarely saw people of color on television. Hardly ever. Martin Luther King was walking around. Muhammad Ali was doing his thing, um, and so it was. It was a. It was a very real, vivid um, uh, conflict in 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 real life. I live where I live. Whites. We have maybe five white families living in our neighborhood. Where I went to school, zero black families lived. You couldn't live there, but I went to school there every day. And so it was a very real thing in my life. So this is something that I've been on my heart for a long time. And three years ago, I started writing this book. And when I started writing the book, I did not know what I was writing until I met some people. And then I had to rewrite the whole thing. And so um, I, I, I met some people and started uh, talking to me about stuff we're going to talk about today. Um, 
but this whole concept that we live in an us first them culture, and if you watch the news, you are forced to pick a side, whether you're Fox versus CNN, or whether you're for the police or against the police. And for the record, my dad was a New York City police officer for 30 years. My son is SWAT today in San Diego. Uh, my dad, I did surveillance with my dad for NYPD in the city because he was internal affairs spying on cops. So uh, the thing you have to understand about police is that police are people. They're not all bad or all good. They're just people like everybody else. And so um, my experience, I love the police. I, I'm very, very involved with the police department in San Diego. We've done several line of duty deaths. Um, I am partnering with, we partner with them constantly. Uh, they need all our support. They have a very hard job. They're just people though. And so when this us versus them culture, you, you feel like, how can I, um, uh, how do I pick a side and how do I be on one side and convince the other side I'm not bad or convince the other side to believe like me? Because you're only given those two options. The third option, which is what this is about, is that we honor what we have in common, that all of us are more similar than different. And I'm going to say that again. Let me just let these people come in. That all of us are, we all have more similarities than differences. And every single one of us in here are 99.5%, some people say 99.9%, whatever it is, uh, uh, genetically identical. Think about that. We all have, if you went to surgery, uh, whatever doctor opened you up, no matter who that person was, whether you're Chinese, black, Asian, old, young, they know exactly what they're going to see when they cut you open. <laughs> right? And, and by the way, if they, see, if they don't see something that they learn in school, something's wrong. <laughs> it's like, what happened? It's, just, it's an anomaly, right? So we have to realize that we are more similar than different, and we, but we tend to focus on, and the devil gives us the only options, is to focus on what's different and to find a reason to feel superior to someone because of the difference. This is the complete opposite. If we can focus on what we have in common, um, we would have better relations. Let me let these people come in. Okay. Are you following what I'm saying? So turn to Joshua chapter 5. Uh, Joshua is leading the Israelites into the promised land, and he's going to ask the uh, command of the army of the Lord and us first them question. We have one, two, three, five seats up here too. Make sure you can see this though, everybody. Okay, Joshua, look what it says in, in verse 13. It came to pass, oh, uh, there it is. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or our adversaries? Everybody say us. us. Say them. Yeah. In our culture, if you are not on my side, you are my adversary. Yeah. If you watch Fox, everybody who watches CNN is bad. And vice versa. I'm generalizing. You may not think that, but in general. If you, in other words, if you went to some place where everybody watches Fox and said, hey, I watch CNN, they start yelling at you. Right? Right. right. Or if, you want, or if you're a Republican, everyone's Democrat's wrong. Right. Are you following what I'm saying? Yep. They're your adversary. That's not the Bible. Right. That's right. And so you, so you have to stop and think, okay, do I have an us first them mentality that is not the Bible? 
And that's, we haven't even talked about race. That's just with everything, okay? And then what it says, he says, so he said, no. And by the way, are you for us or them? Everyone say us. us. Say them. them. Are you for us or them? And he said, no. That's not our answer. <laughs> right? Here's what he was saying. You, you've only given me two options, but you haven't given me the right one. There's a third option. He says, but as commanded the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? He says, I'm God. And he went, oh. And then he realized, you're not in this battle. He said, look, Joshua, the promised land is my idea. It's not your idea. I didn't come here to support you. And by the way, if all your whole church plans, your church is not your idea. And so God doesn't serve you and never will. So he told, I was teaching this and this pastor came to me a week later. He says, I disagree. I thought, I think that God was on Israel's side and that, that, that whole premise that he wasn't for them is wrong. I said, no, you're wrong. I said, don't you read, read the Old Testament. When they disobeyed, what happened? Right. <laughs> God didn't say, okay, you can do what you want. I'm going to support you. He, sent, he got them deported. And so we, we are here to serve God. So the third option is that we say, Lord, everybody, you made everybody in your image for the, for, the, for the reason of having a relationship with you and with each other. And we would love you and love each other. That's what we're for. And so we, all people that you know are made in the image of God. That's one, that's one of the many things that we all have in common. Every single person. The guy who told the story today... Um, in the seven on seven about the, the laundry mat. Yeah. That guy who came in to get his laundry done with a tattoo, he's made an image of God. There was something that touched him that was beyond that guy. Why? Because he's made an image of God. Yeah. And so you have to focus on what do we have in common? And if we can do that, our culture doesn't do that. So how, how do we get divided? Let's start in the beginning. I'm going to tell you how we got divided. And then I'm going to tell you ways we can come together. I'm going to try to get through this. We're going to be done at 2.30. So I'm going to try to get this done in a time for you to have some questions. Amen. Amen. Take notes, write down, uh, write this. We have books up here. All this is in the book, but you can take pictures of this. It'll help. Um, Sociologists call how we separate ourselves from people, they call it grouping. And all of us are in multiple groups. All the ladies say, hey. Hey. That's a group. If you're a mother, say, hey. Hey. There's a lot of mothers in here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a group. So all you mothers, you are a, a, a group onto yourself. And all the guys in here are groups. If you're a senior pastor, say what's up. If, you're, if, you, are a, if you are work in a church, say hello. All those are different groups. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, once you decide who, once you identify a group or any group that you're in, that's your in-group. So all the women... That's a group. If I'm not a woman, I'm on the out group. But if I'm a woman, I'm part of the in group. Are you following what I'm saying? And so all of you are in multiple groups. Everybody in any of those groups is in group. Anybody not in one of those groups is out group, at least to that group. Are we great? In other words, some of y'all are pastors, but some of you are not mega pastors, mega church pastors. But if you're a pastor, we're all part of the same group. But a mega church pastor may have a different group. You're not in that group. Okay, got it. Okay. So we're all in part of middle group. Once you identify your group, people understand the variations of the people in their group better than the people in their out group. Right. I'll give you an example. For all you mothers in here, if you're a mother, 
and you're, there's five mothers talking about don't matter. And then, uh, <laughs> it wasn't meant to be funny, but you'll understand. Five mothers, five mothers are talking about it doesn't matter. And then a young lady who's never been a mother. Can someone sit here? We got a seat right here too. And there's one right here, and there's one right here, one right here. Come on. Sorry. That's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll find you later. Okay. Um, if five mothers are talking, they have experienced pregnancy, birth, diapers, baby all night, blah, blah, blah. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. If a young lady who walks up who's never had a baby but she's pregnant and comes and starts talking about, oh, I can't wait for my little daughter to be born. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to do her hair. We're going to have a little night, a little games and dolls and all kinds of stuff. She doesn't know. What doesn't she know? Birth. All night. You're not going to comb your hair for five years. <laughs> you ain't going to want your husband touching you for five years. You're going to feel ugly and fat and, all, and out of shape and all. And she don't know that. All she knows is that she's pregnant, it's beautiful, and, and, and everyone's, oh, you're going to have a baby? She has no clue. Are you following what I'm saying? Yep. So the in-group of moms know stuff that woman who's pregnant, even though she's pregnant, she's still in the out-group. So just understand this. When you understand, once you identify your in-group, you understand your in-group, but you do not understand your out-group. So anybody who's part of your out-group, you have to know you don't know about them. So if you get information from TV, if you get information from your family, if you get information from even five experiences, you still don't know. So if you're whatever ethnic group you are, Whatever ethnic group you haven't been raised with, because you may be black and you've grown up with all white people all the time, okay? There's a, there's a, you, have, you, you know more information than someone who hasn't. But whatever, whatever, whatever is your ethnic outgroup, since we're talking about race, but it could apply to gender, it could apply to people with money. You don't have money, you never had money, so you assume things about people with money, but you don't know, because you never had money. And so whatever, whoever's your outgroup, just assume you do not know what you think you know. So whenever you make an opinion, you're making a stereotype. Do you know there's 150 kind of Muslims? You might not know that. You think, just Muslim. If you've ever been to a Spanish, I, I did a sermon in Spanish at our church um, uh, last year, and in and, and prep for it, we had a meeting with all the Spanish speakers in our church. To I just wanted to give a vision and practice. Also, we have 15 countries, 15 different kinds of Spanish. <laughs> And you may have thought, I don't know what you think, but you may have thought, oh, they just speak Spanish. I, I mean, I spoke at a, a conference in June. In Sp- it was a Spanish conference, and I, I did this uh, partly in Spanish. And right before I went up, it was in, in, in San Diego where most of the, the, the guy hosting it and most of the people were, uh, were Mexican. And right before I got up, a Puerto Rican guy got up and spoke for 10, 15 minutes. Remember him, Mario? And... My brain was trying to follow, and it just, it just, it was smoke coming out of my head. And, and it was a whole different, it's a whole, most of the words are the same. Some of the words are not. Accent's different, and the speed is completely different. And the guy who was next to me, who's Mexican, said, I don't even understand. <laughs> so, you have to say in group? In group. In, say in group, in group. Out, group. out group. 
once you identify your in-group, you apply in-group bias. Please take a picture of this. In-group bias is your tendency to take, give preferential treatment to people who are like you. Okay, let's put that list up. Okay, I am more comfortable with you, people who are like me, more inclined to spend time socially with people who are like me, more patient with people who are like me before, give benefit of the doubt quicker to those who are like me. I express more grace when mistakes are made by those who are like me. It's easy to communicate with those who are like me. I assume I will get along easier with those who are like me. I'm more willing to go out of my way to help those who are like me. I possess more positive assumptions. Listen, look at this last one. More positive assumptions. So if I see someone who's like me, I'm going to assume something different than if I see someone who's not like me. Now, by the way, obviously ethnicity is a thing that you see first. But this applies to all kinds of ways that you are different. That's in-group bias. Okay, so if someone's like me, I'm going to give them preferential treatment just by nature because I feel more comfortable with them. I assume I know them. If I walk into a room and there's uh, baseball players over here and football players over here, I'm going over here because I feel comfortable with these guys. And if there's defensive backs with who I play, I feel real comfortable with them. We have a whole different mentality. We know... Uh, uh, how we play, we know how, how position, so I feel more comfortable with them. It doesn't mean I don't like baseball players, but if you're a baseball player and you see me walk in the room and go like this, and then like this, why is he doing that? I mean, not that people want to think that, but if you're avoiding someone or having, I, I do assume I will be have more in common with a football player than a baseball player. I assume that, okay? So that's what we do all the time. And by the way, the reason it's important for you to know that you do it all the time is that if you can practice not doing this all the time with everybody, it'll cover not only race, but it'll cover everything else. Okay, let's do the next one. This is the opposite. I'm less comfortable with those who are not like me. I'm less inclined to spend time associated with those who are not like me. Number two means I'm going to avoid you. I'm less patient. I get the benefit of the doubt less. I have less grace expressed. It's more difficult to communicate. I don't assume I will get along with you, so I'm going to avoid you. I'm less willing to go out of my way to help you, and I have less positive assumptions about you. Make sense? Yeah. When, when the Bible says, uh, you shall love your enemy as yourself, think about it this way. You shall love your in-group as your out-group. Because you may think, well, they're not my enemy because they, they haven't done anything, but you're still avoiding them. You're still getting, I, I, I was, years ago, maybe 20, 30 years ago, I was talking about this to my, the, the pastor who, under whom I worked, he was white, he now works for me. And I was talking about racism, white guy, and, and he was not getting it. And so I said, watch this. And so we went up to, we were going to Israel. Matter of fact, we were going to Israel. We went up to the um, counter at the, at, the, at the ticket, at the um, airport to get our tickets. And we stood next to each other. And the lady talked to him. She never looked at me. And I said to him, did you notice that she never looked at me? He's like, why do you think she did that? <laughs> so, I, I, again. Okay. Six things. Six things. Number one, these are six things you can do. Acknowledge that you have a blind spot. When I made the comments today about women on stage, obviously I am not a woman. 
And I do not know firsthand how women feel here are. So I made that comment about um, how I have sensed women being um, honored here. But there may be women here saying, we don't feel that way. I'm not a woman, so I'm on the outs, right? I talked to a couple of women about it, but I don't, I can't, it's only an assumption, and, and by the way, not only an assumption, I've seen it, and, I, and, I, and my comments to Wendy were, I, you know, were 100% sincere from me. But that's, that's, that's I'm not a woman. That's an outgroup. Yeah. However, however, it's like, okay, how can I give honor and, and um, treat them as though I would want to be treated? Right? And so, uh, but, but, but again, I have a blind spot. So if, if five women came to me and said, I appreciate what you said, but we don't feel that way, I would say, okay. Because who am I to say that that's not true? So you have, to, you have to understand that whatever your outgroup is, there's things you don't know. It doesn't mean you're bad. It just means you have opportunity to learn. Here's why, it's, here's why it's critically important. One of the biggest blind spots people have is that they, they, they have a blind spot to think, because I don't consider myself racist, I can't be racially offensive. I've had, since I was a little kid, give you, give you thousands of discussions about racism since I was a little kid. And what I, it didn't hit me until I was reading, writing this, is that people um, who don't think that they're racist, when you tell them that they, they, uh, they, you, they offended you, they can't accept that because they don't think they're racist. So they argue that they didn't mean to offend you and they didn't offend you because if they agreed they offended you, in their mind, they're agreeing they're racist. Are you following what I'm saying? You can be as innocent as you can and loving as you can and still be very offensive. You just don't know. Now, maybe you're a secret racist. That's a different story. But a blind spot is, man, I'm offending people left and right. Um, there was a guy, uh, your social narrative is a story that shaped how you see the world. So basically all the information you got when you were a kid from your parents, from your neighborhood, informed you and shaped the prescription through which you see the world. So why you watch Fox and not CNN or vice versa probably had a lot to do with your family. And when you grew up in your neighborhood and what people told you as a kid and what people have told you as a kid growing up, you were taught who's safe and who's not safe, who works hard, who doesn't work hard. You, you were told what, that, what you read in the, in the textbooks is all the truth and, and whatever you hear something contrary, they're lying. You, you were told all that. But the problem is you've only got one, you, you only have your perspective. There's 7 billion people with 7 billion other perspectives. Yeah. You have a blind spot. doesn't make you bad. It just means you don't have all the information. There's a, um, uh, a leadership coach in San Diego named Stephen Jones, and he wrote an article called The Right Hand of Privilege. And um, how many of y'all are right-handed? Raise your hand. Very good. Keep your hand up really high. By the way, you're raising your right hand. See how you go? Okay, see, keep your hand up really high. So... The world was made by you, for you. Your desk at school is right-handed, right? Golf clubs, you can go to any golf club shop and get like right now. Catch this mitt, you can get it right now, correct? How many of y'all left-handed? Okay, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We're the special people, my in-group. <laughs> nine, nine out of four, okay, nine, nine, nine. 
So, so we are, check us out. We are an in-group. We know something y'all don't know. How we had to compensate for your world. So when you were doing this, writing on the desk, we were out here like this. When you go to get a golf club right now, we have to go to five shops. We can't find a catcher's mitt. When you're playing home, we can't find one. And so we tell you, in any circumstance, metaphorically, we can't find a golf club. You're like, why? I got mine. I don't understand. You're making it up. You must, you must have went to the wrong store. <laughs> You're just complaining. That's what, <laughs> that's called right privilege. Wow. You have an advantage that you don't even know you have. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad person. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean you did it on purpose to hold the left-handed people down, necessarily. But it doesn't remove the fact that I'm left-handed and I have to compensate for a right-handed world. Scissors are right-handed. We shake right-handed. All kind of stuff is right. It go, it go always right. Everything right-handed, right-handed, right-handed. And now you're thinking, huh, how many of y'all who are right-handed thinking, I never heard, never thought about that before. Just raise your hand. Oh, so y'all have thought about that before? <laughs> Good. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. So when you were in school doing this, I was in school doing, we were in school doing this, getting ink on our hand as we were writing. And so you, there are blind spots. So when people tell you who live in a right-handed world, and by the way, a right-handed world is metaphor for the majority rules. And whoever the majority culture is, in here, the United States is a white culture. You go to Africa, it's a tribe. So it's not white people thing, it's a majority thing. It just happens to be white here. And so when you, when you are used to a right-handed world and then the left-handed world is starting to say, wait, about what about us? We don't want to give up our right-handed advantage. That's what's happening in culture right now. And what you're told is that these people are evil because that will give you motivation to fight them. Just, just know, again, if this is your out-group, just know all media... All media is, has an agenda. All media has an agenda. So just know that. They're not there to inform you. They're there to divide us. That's right. And so just know they make money on us fighting. So just, that's why you have to be in the world, not of the world. You can look at it. And by the way, if you really want to be safe, watch all the media. And you'll get all different kinds of perspectives. Then you'll really be confused. <laughs> so, so right-handed privilege. Okay, uh, number two. Rename those people brother, keeper, or neighbor. The greatest commandment is to love God with your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. We all know that. That's the greatest thing. So basically, the no, most important thing you could ever do as a believer is what? Say, love God. Love God. And so love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Can you put up that verse? Okay. Love God. No. Uh, Matthew 22. You, you, all, you all know the great commandment, right? Okay. So the greatest thing you can do is love God and love your neighbor. So, as believers, if we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor, why do we have so much division? I'm just talking about in the church. Forget the world. It's because we change the term. We dehumanize people by relabeling them something less than neighbor. For example, if I call you an immigrant or illegal, you're not my neighbor. And guess what? I don't need to love you. Wow. Wow. So when you hear the news and you hear labels that the news gives you to put on people and you go, oh, that's that, that person's a that, that person's a that, 
Soon as you do that, you just took the Bible and raced the word neighbor. By the way, Jesus said, everybody's your neighbor. Super good Samaritan story. You said, oh, no, no, Jesus, that's not my neighbor, so I don't need to love him. I don't need to apply my baby. So here's how, here's how crazy this is. I'm only going to be a Christian for people who are like me in my own church. Oh, gosh, Jesus. Oh, God. <laughs> I, 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 did this, I did this for some pastors recently, and the pastor at the end said, hey, we had questions, and he says, and he said to me, most of us are with you, and then he asked a question. And because my time wasn't running out, I, I, and I was, I was, I controlled myself because I want. I got real mad because I, I wanted to say, "What do you mean most of you are with me? If this is not what you want to do, don't start a church. Come on, yeah. And maybe check your salvation at the door and reevaluate. Right. So if everybody's your neighbor. But if you're if I if you're not my neighbor, you're a white this, a black this, immigrant this, a legal this, or an animal. You when you hear those words, please, please don't let television and the media and politicians on both sides of the aisle. Uh, determine, relabel people. When you label someone lower than human, whatever you, however you label them, you can't see them above that label. So if you call your son, your daughter stupid, you'll never see them as smart. Or if you call them ugly, you'll never see them as beautiful. So what did God say? You're my daughter, you're my son, you're my redeemed, you're an inheritor. All, all the amazing names God gave you have limitless potential. The devil wants to put a cap on it. So the first thing you need to do is look at everybody that you see and say, that's my neighbor. Next time you see a homeless person, that's my neighbor. That's, my, that, that's someone I'm supposed to love and honor. When, if you remember when that, um, uh, the guy and his daughter, wait a minute, I got their name. Oscar and Angie, they were crossing the river in San Diego to get into America, and they drowned. There was a picture of them in the water. If you saw them as immigrants, eh, they, they broke the law. That's on them. If you labeled them something less than human, are you following what I'm saying? It's easy for you to say, eh, whatever. But, but check this out. That's a dad. That's a daughter. How many of y'all are dads? That's your in-group. I can, give you, I can give you a thousand, literally, things you have in common. Everything biologically about you. Everything sociologically about you. Everything psychologically about you is the same as him and her. And, and they were both made in the image of God. And so if you focus on that, and then when you hear one word, disqualify all that. When I was a kid, I used to watch the uh, Cowboys and Indians, and I always wanted to learn about the Cowboys. I mean, the Indians. But they were always like, you know, they were savages. Hollywood labeled them as savages. But yet we took what they had. And they're savages. They dehumanized them. Uh, Number three, give in-group bias to your out-group. (laughs) <laughs> Come on, sister! Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> yeah, this is this is you drowning this stuff. If you think about it. You gotta get the book because because we only got a few minutes left. Um, give in group love to your out group. I just said that. If you if just find people who are not in your out in group, ethnically, socioeconomically, gender, just practice all the time, and just love them. Say, how would I treat this person if they were like me? And just love them and practice that. Because that's what the Bible says about everything. This just happens to be about race because the, the book is. But these principles apply to everybody you know. 
Okay, uh, um, next one. Uh, acknowledge your brother and sister's color. The first time someone told me they didn't see my color, I thought they had astigmatism. Ninety <laughs> percent of your brain activity comes through your eyes. Ten million bits of information per second, and one of those things is color. You can't not see color. Even if you close your eyes, you see black. <laughs> <laughs> So if you don't like black people, you're in trouble, okay? <laughs> you know, this lady went to, she was in Hawaii, she got a tan, and, and she was bragging about a tan, and she, she was telling about it, and she was trying to get this guy to talk to her. And she was came to work with a little spaghetti strap, and she was throwing a tan at him. <laughs> what do you say? Does that, does that, You know, <laughs> you like that, huh? <laughs> Sometimes the funniest things are the little subtlest things. <laughs> so yeah, she was she, she was she was throwing a thing out there, and and, and she's. It's amazing how we celebrate a tan we get in Hawaii, but someone gets a tan here, we invalidate it. We don't see it. <laughs> you don't see it. The only time you say you see it, the only time people say they don't see color is when they see it. <laughs> I mean, don't don't say that. The, the, I know I know the intent is to for some is innocent. Oh, you're trying to say you know everybody I treat everybody the same. Okay, uh, no, we don't. I have three kids. I don't treat them the same. <laughs> you just don't. <laughs> it's impossible to treat everybody the same because everybody's not the same. Uh, um, so uh, here's, what, here's the other thing. Here's, it's an insult to God. So God says, I'm going to make a color and you're going to say you don't see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the most basic reason you should not say it. You should see color. Just don't disrespect it. You see someone who's Chinese, man, why can't you look at that as an advantage? There's something for you to learn. You see someone who has grown up in a wealthy family, instead of being jealous, why don't you see if there's something you can learn and, and something you can appreciate and uh, benefit from? The next one is every, every conversation is a race consultation. <laughs> every, because you see color, because you see color, Every time you talk to somebody, no matter what they look like, if they look exactly like you, you were having a race conversation. So what does that mean? That means if you're a white guy and you're talking to a white guy, you know you're talking to a white guy. And when you're talking to that white guy, you are either your idea of white people is either being reinforced or challenged and expanded. Yeah. One of those two things are happening. So I, I was I was at a um, I was at a. Uh, uh, well, uh, well, people talk to me. They're like, are you black? Huh? Black people. Well, their idea of blackness got expanded. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and for, for everybody, because everybody's like, are you black? you Puerto Rican? you just say, I'm everything. Just, I'm just cool. Just look at that. Just, uh. <laughs> so I, I was talking to this white guy. He was 25 years old from Iowa. And we were at a golf course. And he was worked there. And he picked me up in the car. And cool kid, 25, 30, I don't know. And we were talking. And I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Iowa. I said, um, oh, right, what's your name? He said, DeAndre. <laughs> <laughs> I 
in Spanish, y'all too, because as soon as I said DeAndre, y'all like, those two things don't go together, right? <laughs> Why? Because our social narrative said these names are for these people. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. That's your, that's your information. Here's the point. I had a blind spot that doesn't make me, doesn't make me racist. So I said to him, where did you get that name? He goes, I get that all the time. People are tripping on my name. He said, my mom and dad had like, like that name. I was like, oh, I, think, I think your mom had a boyfriend. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> but here's what happened. When he told me his name was DeAndre, I, this, is, this is a trip. I applied everything I know about DeAndre to him. All of a sudden, he became a really cool white dude. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a cool dude, but, I, I, but I'm thinking, DeAndre, you must be cool. You had that name. Wow. And I mean, that's so random to think that, but, and, and who knows how true all that was, but he was a cool kid. But the point is that label. So when, you have, when you're talking to someone, you are having a race conversation. What does that mean? Is that you want that person to self-disclose to you what they're like. So in other words, instead of your assumptions being imposed on them, which, by the way, you can't help seeing someone saying they're Asian. That's what your eyes are for. The problem is when you say Asian people are like this, 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 and that's what you are. Versus saying, hey, if it comes up in the conversation, where are you from? And tell me about your life. And now you self-disclose to me what you're all about. That's where the honor comes in. I want to honor who you are, your family, your struggle. And, and by the way, because we are more similar than different, and you are made in the image of God, there's going to be something that, about your life that I can identify with. And if you look at it that way, then all of a sudden you have a big, uh, your life is one big um, discovery, journey of discovery. I, I love people. I just came from Singapore where all the, at a conference, and people from all around Asia were there. So, and I don't... Um, I haven't been around a lot of Chinese, Koreans, Filipinos, Indonesians, Malaysians, Singaporeans at the same time to be able to tell the difference. Now, if, when I say I can't tell the difference, that's just a fact. I just can't, right? It doesn't mean that I think they're all the same. I just, or think, or to say something like, well, they're all the same. That's an ignorant statement. To say I can't tell the difference is a whole different deal, right? So I'm walking around, and I didn't really get a chance to... I did talk to people from all those countries, but not enough to say, <laughs> to be able to say, now I'm in the in-group. Remember, I'm an out-group. So I have a lot of education before I cannot make ignorant statements. So I got to learn, 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 learn. And, and I was only there five days, so I didn't really learn, be able to accomplish that. But... Uh, when, you're ha- when you're having a conversation, you're having a race conversation, and the, the main point is allow people to self-disclose to you who and what they are. And do it with sincere interest to discover something amazing. Let me tell you something. God don't make junk. People, yesterday when um, I think it was Pastor Chris was talking about how people are looking for meaning and significance and looking for God. Everybody, every human being is. By the way, you meet someone who's transgender? They're made in the God. I'm not talking about the, the transgenderness and conversion or uh, and any any lifestyle person. Behavior is different than made the image of God. And so if you appeal to the image of God and let the word of God do its work, 
instead of tripping on the other part, you'll be more like Jesus. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay, last week, give your heart to, give your heart to those who are not like you. Um, uh, Rod Carew is a baseball player, uh, Hall of Fame, Panamanian, brown, mild color complexion in 1971. He had a heart condition. He needed a heart, heart and kidney transplant. And at the same time, a 27-year-old white NFL player went into a coma and died. He signed his organs over. His name was um, Conrad. Conrad's heart and kidney went to Rock Carew. White guy's heart and kidney went to Panamanian, black Panamanian's heart. When Conrad was 11, he met Rock Carew and came home and told his mom, I'm going to be a pro athlete because I met my hero, Rod Carew. <laughs> Come on, man. you can't make this stuff up. So Rod Carew, I mean, Conrad's mother calls up Rod Carew and says, I think you have my son's heart and kidney. I don't know how they did that, but she found out. He says, would you like to hear it? And she went over his house. They're friends. You can watch this on 30, 30, 30 for 30 on ESPN on, online. It, you'll see the whole story and their friends. They live right here in California. Um, if we're so different, how is it that this white kid can give his heart and kidney to this black man? Mm-hmm. Until we put our heart into the well-being of other people, mm-hmm. we just, we, you know, we're not going to really fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's what we got. We got 10 minutes. And I appreciate if y'all wouldn't start leaving before the 10 minutes, because then it's going to be disruptive. We'll do 10 minutes of questions, then we'll get you out of here. And then you guys come up and get a book. <laughs> Anybody got a question about you? Yes? First, I just want to say thank you. You're welcome. For being here and following the history of your work. Um, this is great stuff. Oh, by the way, follow me on social media. I'm following you on Instagram, by the way. Um, one of the things that I was thinking through is like, in this room, we're all in group, right? You're all of you are in an in group. We're all in an in group, but right. at the same time, in we're Christ followers in this room at this place, right? So it represents for me. I'm just thinking through your in group, but my challenge is, or at least I wanted to hear you opine on this. What's your strategy for inviting folks? who don't care about your third option, right? They, they, they don't want to come to the conversation. They don't want to come in this space to talk about, you know, such issues that could be divisive. So how do you, right, can you opine on that, talk through that? Because, you know, we could be wanting to talk about some of these issues and um, help culture make progress. But that has to be reciprocated. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have read a book that you probably covered in there. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- yes. There's several different contexts. One is one-on-one at the airport or at work. Another context is you as a lead of a, pat- of a church that's diverse. Another context is that you of a church is not diverse, but you're trying to educate. So a lot of different contexts to do that. Because as a pastor, you can be looking out and people in the audience don't want it. Right. So that's that's a context. Another context is when you just meet someone one on one. So I'll try to summarize um, as a rule. Everybody I meet is made in the image of God, which is fact. And I treat them as such. And I appeal to that in them. Love them. Kind. I look for stuff that we can laugh about, have in common, have a conversation. And when they're like, I don't like this dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got a kid, too. Oh, yeah, I play baseball. Oh, you play in the NFL. That's a that's a big, easy start. Right. So people have all that in common. So as a rule, if we have that, that you will love, 
you will aggressively love people no matter what they do or say for the rest of your life 100% of the time as you. That's what, one thing you can't control. So there's no excuse for me going in and figuring out, wait, let me wait and see how they're going to treat me. That's not acceptable. I'm going to treat them. So that's number one. Number two, as a, does that make sense? As a two, uh, as a lead pastor, I am always in my, my church diverse, so our church diverse, so it's very easy. But before every service, I say, find somebody that you don't know and probably who doesn't look like you and say, ask them their name, tell them God sees them and God loves them. So we get up and say, hey, I love for someone who's not loved. We do that every week, right? Um, and then I will talk about race all the time. Talk about diversity all the time. I did this book series as well, and I interviewed a former white supremacist five weeks ago. And um, he goes to our church. He went through our pastoral. Uh, you have a picture of Taz. He went through our pastoral training, and his current, his friends, his friends who are his current, his current friends who are currently skinheads, came to church. So I said, and he, he don't do that anymore. He, he got saved. Him and his, three of his boys, three or four of his boys came to a service I was doing 20 plus years ago and they all came forward. Okay, they were skinheads at the time. Okay, and so the Holy Spirit was working on them. I didn't know him and they, and he was just, scout, they were scouting it out, scouting me out and they came to the church and came forward. Okay, 20 something years later, here we are. So now, his boys came and while we were doing worship, he said, those are my guys, that guy, that guy. It was like uh, three dudes and two girls. So I started talking to him. I said, look, after church, I want y'all to come in the back of my green room. So I went over and told him. And he went, oh, God. <laughs> and he was like, did they say yes? I said, yeah. So that, they came in the back. And the, the lead guy of that group is the youngest. And he's big, buff, white dude. He's like, I've been, I've been following you. I listen to your sermons. This is the skinhead telling me this. <laughs> right? What's the point? Is that he is a declared skinhead, but not really. So I say all that to say that you just gotta keep loving people as much as you can. They came in the back. His his daughter's my daughter's name, the, the skinhead kid, and we were all hugging. He's like, man, can I get a picture of you? And hey, can we do the? And, they, and we took a picture, but he it wasn't on his phone, so he was bugging Taz. When can I get the picture? When can I get the picture? When can I get the picture? But one dude that came in the back, he was just like. I don't know what he was thinking but he was there he's in the picture (laughs) answer question okay yes Um, how do we create teams and embrace this or um, staff teams you know long-term teams how does that trickle down into um, building church teams that can open this out how do you create teams? Yeah, I just like the staff. I mean, particularly staffing. Yeah, Because yeah. um, I, I talk to several people, and I mean, uh, this may, I don't know, I don't even know where this is. Just say it. Be, but like, hiring people of opportunity groups right. isn't enough. That would right. be a beginning point. Right, right. That's been always the advice to me. Yeah. I've never heard what happens after that. You know, how do you think that? Yeah. Um, write down Mosaics. Uh, I think it's mosaic.org, Mosaic. It's a friend of mine who actually does uh, teach, trains in the whole system of hiring and all that kind of stuff. Jose, he's out of Arkansas, Mark DeMoss. First thing is, I would build sincere relationships with people that are different. I would make a commitment to serving people who are different in a different neighborhood than where you're from. I mean, 
take it for granted that your church, if it's white, it's in an all-white neighborhood, if it's black, it's all black. I'm just assuming. But if that's your situation, then you're going to serve people that are outside your neighborhood for real. So you may build relationships. And the reason you build relationships is so you can really know people and not just say, hey, we got a black guy on our staff, we got a Mexican guy on our staff. Because I've had those conversations, and I'm like, oh, we have 37 nations, and 10 of them are from Italy and Germany, and they're just white people, right? So, I, I mean... <laughs> And when, I say, and when I say just white people, I'm not saying that white people are less than black people. But what I'm saying is that you're just pluffing the numbers up to make it seem like you're doing something, right? So, so and, and, and you have this diverse team, great, but do you have a diverse, what is, what is, what are you really trying to accomplish? Because you could have a diverse audience and not have a diverse ministry. In other words, I, and I know these people and I get this, this is only one example. So if you're Democrat or Republican, don't be offended. I just have to use this one example. I can use two if, you, if it makes you feel better. But it's an all-white church for a few black people, and the pastor is pro-Trump. And he's talking about Trump, 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 Trump. Which I would say, and by the way, Biden, 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 just to make it fair, whatever it is, your, your flavor. Uh, and by the way, if you're Republican, because Democrats are out-group, and if you're Democrat, Republicans are out-group, you can never agree with them even when they're right. That's out-group, in-group. That has nothing to do with the Bible. So, if your, if your ministry is to only the people who are like you, then the people who are not like you, who are your diverse people, you're not ministering to them. So they may be in your, in your church, but it's, 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 it's not real. Are you know what I'm saying? So, so go back to get to know people. Okay? And then start saying, okay, how can I hire some people who really have some gifts to bring to the table? Because we really want to do ministry powerfully. And then... Once, they, once they're on the team, and by the way, there's a process to get them on the team as, as they come to your church, you start asking them, take their advice for real and, and, and hear what the needs are for real. It will, and, and if you're, whatever your political strike is, you will have a dilemma because our church is literally the United Nations. So I don't talk about politics because politics is flawed. Republicans flawed, Democrats are flawed, and they're all crooks. I, I should, let me say I, I shouldn't say it because I do know some who are sincere Christians, I, but I also know some who are Christians who I <laughs> who say I don't want to say who who say they're Christians and believe ridiculousness. Okay, so that that, that I don't put no stock in that. I put stock in Jesus. That's it. So you want to be real careful pushing. People, because you're going you're gonna to have to defend sin at some point. And so we're not in that business. And so I would say relationship, you know, come to your church. But also, if I'm sitting in your church, I want to know that you care about what, I'm, what I care about. Yeah. What, what hurts me? I want you to know that you're going to apply the gospel to me and not just to the people who are like you, your ethnic in-group. And I'm just here as your, your trophy person. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Conversation in our church is our, the questions I get are: Are we multi-ethnic or multicultural? Yeah. And what's the difference? What's, well, I think I'm understanding the difference. What's the goal? The goal? Yeah. It's, to be the kingdom of God. Right. <laughs> I feel like it's never enough. One, you know, it's like it's never going to be enough one way or the other for anybody who's made. Who is the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> Matthew 25. Read Matthew 25, uh, 31, I believe it is. Real. So whoever could read that the quickest, I'll, I'll tell you right now. Say it. I think it's Matthew 25, 31. I think it's his all nations stand before. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his 
sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And, and you know the rest of the story. It's not because of their ethnicity or nationality. It's because they feed him when he was hungry, clothed him when he was naked. So you just want to have people say, Here's the, we have 140, last count, volunteer ministries in our community, in our church. These are not when men's ministry, youth ministry. These are volunteers in the community. So that means we have armies that can go to any zip code in San Diego. And we just minister together. So we send an army out. It's in the middle of the United Nations pack, the United Nations pack. And people go to where God has called them a lot of times from where they came, from their pain. Or whether it be a neighborhood or, or a, uh, or a um, type of lifestyle. Um, uh, and so that's what you want. And, and then and so when you start getting focused on, oh, we're multicultural, when that's your goal, that has never been our goal. When pastors ask me what our strategy is, we had, we had zero strategy. Now, the benefit is my mix. So people look at me and go, well, well I could identify with something in him. So that's kind of probably what God did. So that's an advantage. But we, that's not really what our, we just have people that are there. Now that we're here, let's just do work together so we can move past it. Um, in the sense that move past it. It's not, as far as I'm concerned that I know, an issue that way because we just, our staff has got a whole bunch, it's very diverse. Our board is diverse. Our leadership, everything's diverse. Our altar calls are diverse. It's our, our school is diverse. My grandson goes to our school. He's like, you know, so it, it's not, we're trying to do anything as much as be the kingdom of God. It's just what happens is we're doing it with a lot of different people. So if you put too much emphasis on it, it'll be a distraction where you're going to think, okay, there has to be a black, white, and a Mexican in that meeting. There has to be a black, you don't want to get there because that's, you know, you just want to, but, but you want to know what's in your heart to prevent that. Because like I was talking about the ladies, sometimes subconsciously we just say, okay, the women are going to do these things, but we won't even consider them for these things. You have to know that that exists to remove it. So, okay, now we're at least open to it. Okay. Yes. Uh, my apologies for being late, um, so forgive me if you covered this. But was there a specific catalyst besides your background that drew your heart to uh, having a passion for this? Um, probably the, the the I did not. Probably the thing that I like to argue. <laughs> and my brother was a Heisman runner up in 1987. <laughs> My brother was All-American High School quarterback. And my brother all his life was told he couldn't play quarterback. When he was young, up until maybe, I'm, I'm just going to guess, up until 10 years ago, even today still, black quarterbacks was not acceptable, especially when I was young, at all. If you had one, they were always maligned. So I, I argued for all my life about that with people. And I just had a chip on my shoulder. And, and, I, and believe me, my family racism, my family, my, my white grandmother's family cut her off when she married my grandfather. We never met them. They lived 15 minutes away. I didn't, we didn't even know they existed. So we had, was a, and, and I, my school was a black neighborhood and a white neighborhood that came together. Now, we all got along great, but you couldn't live over there. So I was surrounded by it all the time. But I think the thing that kept it burning in my life and then uh, was that. And then when I, when I got older, I just, it just bothered me. 
And when OJ, the OJ thing happened, I, I preached that night of that weekend. It got diverted. I cried after that sermon because it, just, it was just something built up I didn't even know. Uh, by the way, I think OJ's a knucklehead, and I think he did it, but that's another story. <laughs> I, was, I, I was burdened over the division the, the in the country, right? And then, so when I, I, got, I, got a, I got a chance to write a book, I call it, wow. <laughs> I got a chance to write a book called Enough is Enough, and I wrote a chapter on racism. And the book was going to be God saying to the church, I'm tired of y'all. I'm tired of how you treat gays. I'm tired of how you treat black, uh, racism. I'm tired of how you, and so I wrote the chapter on racism when I was writing it. Man, I want to write a whole book on this. And they said, they, the publisher came back and said, would you write a whole book on it? And I was like, yes. So it's kind of, sorry. This lady raised her hand three times. Go ahead. Yes, there's a whole chapter on here called My Brother's Keeper and how you should confront people in your family when they're yakking and all kinds of situations. There's a lot of different situations. You know, um, you know legally you may have some liability if it's, a legal, if it's something in your job, uh, but in the least, you have to get comfortable with speaking up. And in the book we have ways, things you could say to people like, how do you know that? Remember, if someone's talking about the out group, they don't know what they're talking about for the most part, right? They may have had, even if they had 10 experiences with black people or Mexicans or whatever, that's only 10. That's nothing, right? And so you, 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 there's ways to ask uh, people. There was a guy, a lady who told me, you need to get over it. This kind of goes to your question as well. Why can't you get over it? And I created this thing called Walk in My Shoes Field Trip where I asked, six white people to go someplace where they were the only white person in America. It's different to go to Africa. Stop going to Africa. For real, stop going to Africa and saying I did something for black people. Go down the street. And so I said, you go to someplace where you're the only white person and answer these questions. They're all in the book. How to feel when you went, how to feel when you were preparing to go. Uh, and I had a guy who interviewed me a month ago. He said when he was reading that, he was nervous, mm-hmm. thinking about him being in that situation. How are you going to honor somebody as similar if you are scared to be around them? Yeah. And, and, and uh, two of the guys that I asked were my writers. And when I asked them, one of them went on for like five minutes of why he would never do that. And he said, if I went to a black church, I would be wanting to leave right away. And I said, can you write that down so I can put it in the book? <laughs> Took him a month to write me a paragraph. He's written 50 books. They didn't finish writing the book. But they, neither one of them did it. And so, I, that's, he, can you stand up and show your face? So that white guy right there. <laughs> He's my assistant. He went to a black barbershop. It's in there. It's what his experience was in there. And so um, I kind of shifted your answer, but to go to a place and get to know people uh, is so you can speak from firsthand experience and, and just challenge. But it's in the, I can't remember, I think it's chapter 16, I think it is. Yes? I think it's intentionality um, because I go to a church that doesn't work for me purposely. That's my uh, reverse business. 
and you know, I could write uh, write a book as well. I was raised by an African American man. We said black back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, if you want to know if you want to know what to say, black or African American, just here's what's most important. It's not the words. It's the it's the tone. Yeah. Just say it respectfully, and if someone trips on you, sometimes it's them. Right. So right. We, yeah, and I get into conversations like that in my small groups. Last right. night I had a woman tell me her experience in a, in a black beauty shop was different than a white woman. And she went on and told me everything. <laughs> so I said, huh, yeah. you ever been to an all white yeah. beauty shop, yeah. beauty parlor? I mean, so it's really right. interesting how you get intentionally into the conversations because of these labels, right. because of these. Do you have a question? So, the, how long, when, when did this book come out? A year ago. September 11th, last year. That, that's why y'all got to get it. You're a year behind. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes? Do you have some thoughts about how to exist multiracially or multiculturally without assimilating people? Like, not to just prevent people from just liking black people that act white? Ask a question a different way? Well, like assimilation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I could say I have a little white church. And I invite these black people because they act white. They get accepted because they fit in, rather than they are them and I and we were different from the other. To try not to mold the personalities to be the same, but let people be different. I'm a little confused. Yeah, uh, ask one more time. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been reading some books lately. Yeah. One of them is talking about the sewage. Yeah. So they're talking about a minority race mm -hmm. trying to assimilate, mm -hmm. act and look and mm -hmm. behave as if they're white mm -hmm. in order to be accepted, mm -hmm. rather than accepting them as themselves. And what's the question? And the question is, have you got some thoughts about how to make that not happen in the church? Well, you know, every person, well, a couple things. I, as the pastor, it's going to be very hard for me to control what people, how people treat each other. But if someone has all their life tried to not be, tried to be like another race, that has been something they've been doing all their life. And part of that's called internal racism. When you, when you internalize what you've been told all your life that you're inferior, so you try to be what, that's a real thing. So that, that, that's a bigger long-term psychological thing or uh, sociological thing that um, you really don't, Control. Well, that's on an individual basis. So, so let's say, let's say I'm that guy. And I want to be, I want to be accepted by Latinos, right? So I'm going to start speaking Spanish, which is not why I'm speaking Spanish. I'm always wanting to, right? <laughs> I, but I'm not like eat, eating Spanish food every day, and you know, wearing. And so, but if, but if I did that, right? You treating me bad or, or not accepting me is not going to make me not do that. I'm just going to find somebody else. I'm going to look at you being mean. Okay. We hope you enjoyed this session from the Art Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations and to register for an upcoming Art Conference, visit artconference.com.